Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2154. Be prepared to be inspired. And buckle up, because today we're talking about NASCAR. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today I'm in beautiful Newport News, Virginia, with a very special guest by the name of Al Pierce. Al, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? I'm ready. Let's do it. Now, considering what you've written about what we're going to be talking about today, I should say you're ready for the checkered flag to drop because we're going to be talking about NASCAR and racing and a great new book that my friends at Octane Press sent me that you've just produced. But before I give you a proper introduction and we dive into this uh, very fun world that you've created around your career, what's one little thing that maybe most people don't know about Al Pierce? I grew up... (laughs) I I grew up wanting nothing more than to be a locomotive railroad engineer. Okay. (laughs) My father drove trains for 40-some years. He was simply the the best locomotive engineer on the planet, and I wanted to be the second best. I grew up watching him get up on engines and take trains 185 miles one direction, turn around, bring another train back the other way. And I thought, that's the greatest job in the world. He did not disagree with my life choice, but he said, if you can drive trains, you're going to go to college first. And he was smart enough to know that railroads had a uh, life expectancy at that point of about 30 or 40 or 50 more years. So he said, go to college and then do what you want, but you're not going to drive trains until you go to college. So that little sidetrack got me into journalism which has ultimately been my career now for 54 years. Well, a smart man, your father, obviously, but trains are still around. I have a feeling they're going to be around for a lot longer. Now, maybe in the near or far future, they won't have anybody driving them. They'll just be automated, kind of like what they're talking about doing with our cars. Not so sure I'm happy about that, but I, it works in some ways. But, uh, you know, every little boy kind of wants to be, a, or a little girl, you know, drive trains or go up in space or drive a fire truck or all that. But pretty cool that your dad did that for a living. Did you ever get get to ride on a train up front with him? I, I did. There were <laughs> there were a couple of trips that we took that were, shall we say, under the cover of darkness late at night. I would go, I would drive 40, 50 miles south of where we lived and go to a train station where he had to make a stop. And I'd, I'd scurry up the ladder and ride with him in the cab for 100 miles or so. And then my mother would be at the other end of the line and pick me up and bring me back home. So <laughs> there were two or three times when I got to ride up with him and um, just it, it just was so much fun and exciting. But, you know, you can't look back. I think I think Mark is only concerned about the life ex- expectancy of trains was that he, that he drove for a railroad that was privately owned. It was not Amtrak. It was a privately owned rail line that... Mm. Ultimately, went away like he predicted it would. Amtrak picked it up, but I think I think he realized that the days of private rail travel was going to probably come to an end. Government's one thing, 
private something else. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, what fun. I'm glad you got to do that a couple of times with your father. Wonderful memories that nobody can ever take away from you. Well, let's talk about what you have been up to uh, after attending college. Uh, smart move on your dad's part, I believe. And you certainly built a wonderful career. Al Pierce became a daily newspaper sports writer back in 1968 and covered his first NASCAR race in July of 1969. He covered racing in some form or fashion in daily newspapers for 35 years and for Auto Week concurrently for 50 years. And he has authored 15 NASCAR-related books. Today, we'll be focusing on his newest title, 51st Victory, NASCAR's Drives, Driver's Breakthrough Wins, a book he co-authored with Mike Hembry, who will be our guest tomorrow on Cars Yeah, and is published by my friends at Octane Press. They put produce some fantastic books. Al's been to 50 states and a dozen plus countries on assignment, including Le Mans, NASCAR in Mexico, Canada, Australia, and Japan. Al's been awarded with six media-focused Hall of Fame for journalism's eight journalism's award for writing excellence, and many more. Congratulations, my friend. We'll be back in just a minute, but first word from our sponsors. The reason we can keep some diesel in our tanks or gas in our tanks as expensive as it's gotten. So sit tight, and we'll be right back. Covercraft's newest three-layer all-climate cover is especially engineered for moderate weather conditions and it's treated with an extra UV-resistant formula. It's soft, it's breathable, and it's easy to store, all while pampering your paint, providing maximum UV, rain, and dust protection. If you live where it's windy, no worries. Simply add their gust guards for windy conditions to add extra protection to keep your cover in place. Your three-layer all-climate cover is custom-tailored with Covercraft's attention to detail, form and fit with the quality and attention to detail that's been their tradition since 1965. Covercraft protects cars, trucks, motorcycles, RVs, trailers, and watercraft too. Every one of my vehicles is protected with a Covercraft cover. And I have a deal for you. Use the code yeah 21 Y-E-A-H-21 at Covercraft.com and you'll get 10% off your Covercraft order plus free shipping. That's right. So get 10% off with free shipping by simply using the code yeah 21 at checkout. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. When it was time to renew my collector car policy, my carrier raised my rates by a lot. But why? My usage was the same, my car's value was the same, and I had never made a claim. I didn't even have a ticket. The only change was their rate, and they had no reason why. What's with that? I researched my options, I spoke to others, and with American Collectors Insurance, what a difference. A live person actually answers the phone. She spent time learning about me and provided a reasonable quote. American Collectors Insurance, why wait until your next premium is due? Give them a call today for your personal agreed value quote. Call 866-AC1-YEAH, that's 866-224-9324. Tell them you're a friend of mine, Mark Green at Cars Yeah. American Collectors Insurance, classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors, automotive enthusiasts just like you and me. That's American Collectors Insurance. Jim Canova is a past guest here on Cars Yeah, and he's detailed over 8,000 vehicles. And that kind of professional experience leads to innovation. He was tired of uncomfortable stools and creepers and being down on his knees when detailing cars. So as a result, Jim thought, you know what, there must be a better way. And he invented the Bumby Seat. 
His unique design gets you off your knees and your bum onto a far more comfortable seating position for all your low-level automotive detailing. The Bumby seat with its patented full flat design allows you to adjust your position to the task at hand. Convenient side trays hold your car care products, tools, cloths, or a tasty beverage. Built for the toughest driveways and garage tests, the Bumby seat has wheels that roll easily over almost any surface and it makes a great around-the-home adjustable stool for hobbies, yard work, or take it to the car show. The full flat design makes storage a breeze. Jim has launched an Indiegogo fundraiser and you can get in on the start of what's sure to be an industry favorite. Go to Indiegogo.com and type in Bumby Seat, that's B-U-M-B-E-E Seat, to be one of the first in line to start improving your automotive detailing experience today. That's Bumby Seat on the Indiegogo.com website. And when you're on the Indiegogo website, make sure you take advantage of some special savings that Jim's provided just for you, Cars Yeah listeners. Order your Bumby Seat today. So Al, let's uh, go back into your history a little bit before we dive into this new book because it's really cool. Getting into journalism, you talked about your father saying you got to go to college and this led you down this path. I know you've written more than just about cars, but what is it about sports journalism and specifically racing and specifically NASCAR that captured your attention for so many years in your career? Well, the short answer is <laughs> I needed a job. <laughs> I got, Very yeah, good. <laughs> I, I, I got, yeah, I got out of the Army in uh, June of 69. Mm-hmm. I came back from Vietnam in 68, but I had one more year to do as an officer. And I got out of the Army in June of 69, did not have a job, had no great prospects. But a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine, had arranged an interview with me with the sports editor of the local paper there in Newport News, near where I got out of the Army. And I happened to be available literally within days after their NASCAR writer had left for another job. So I walked in for an interview with a man who basically needed somebody to replace somebody. And and he asked all the regular questions like, you know, do you know about football, basketball? Yeah, I know all that stuff. What do you know about stock car racing? Well, I immediately realized that if he's asking a question that specific, that might be a need he needs filled. You think? Yeah. (laughs) So basically, I lied. I said, oh, man, I know everything. (laughs) I'm from North Carolina. There you go. Richard Petty's from North Carolina. I said, I've seen the Daytona 500, which is true as a fan, one time. I made it sound like I knew all that needed to be known. Yep. And he he said, "Well, when can you start work?" And I made a I made a point of exaggeratingly looked at my watch and said, "Like right now?" There you go. There you go. <laughs> and he said, "There's he, he literally pointed across the room and said, "There's your desk. Go wow. get it." Wow. That was in July of '69, and I, I stayed in that office in that building at that desk basically. For 35 years. Oh, my gosh. You know, this is a great golden nugget for young listeners out there that perhaps are going into an interview, maybe not so much to tell a fib, but more to just say, I can do this job and I want to do this job, more importantly, and yeah. give, give oh, me yeah. an opportunity, yeah. right? 
the time in Mark could not have been better. Yeah. He, he needed somebody basically like now today. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, I said, yeah, I just got out, got out of the army last week and, um, looking for something that I can latch on to. So it was a fortuitous moment. Yeah, most definitely. And you grabbed it just like grabbing a corner, an opening in a corner in a NASCAR race. You see an opening, you went for yeah. it. Oh, and, yeah. And you got it. You better go for it right now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I Kyle, think Kyle, yeah, Kyle Larson, you better go for it right now. Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and thank you for your service. My father-in-law served in Vietnam three tours there. So thank you for uh, for doing that. Uh, let's talk about this book, 51st Victories. Uh, you cover NASCAR's heavy hitters. And what I found interesting about this book is most of us look at anybody in racing or anybody in any career where they're successful. And we don't go back or think about how they started or what was that breakthrough? I mean, you could take actors, athletes, race car drivers. You just kind of think of them as, oh, they've always been a star, but that's not true. They had to work their way up. I've had hundreds of racers on this show that tell amazing stories. Some of them, like Bobby Rahal, who was on the show that said, I was literally ready to quit. And it was a happen chance meeting in a hotel lobby that pushed me that next step. So no doubt there was some surprises you uncovered. Could you share a few? Uh, sure, I'd be glad to. I think, I, I don't know if there were surprises. There were some serendipitous moments. For example, Tiny Lund was literally, uh, not, not literally, but was virtually penniless, did not have a ride. His career prospects were almost zero, but just on a hunch, he went to Daytona in 1963, just to watch the 500, mm. just to be there in the garage and kind of make himself relevant to some degree. Well, Tiny happened to have happened to help three or four other gentlemen pull an injured driver out of a burning car the week before the 500. Marvin Pants was testing a sports car wreck got upside down, the car was on fire, and he was literally about to die. And Tiny helped a group of men, there were four of them, to pick up this Maserati and pull him out. And at the hospital, Marvin Page told the Wood Brothers, let Tiny have my ride. Oh, my God. Obviously, I can't drive it. Let Tiny have the car. He's down here without money, without a ride. Put him in my car. The Wood Brothers did. They won the Daytona 500, and Tiny's life was forever changed. My goodness. If he had not been at the racetrack that precise moment, if he had arrived an hour earlier or an hour later, if he had not been close enough to the upside-down burning car to sprint over there, and Tiny was, was not tiny. He was 6'4", about 250. Wow. He was a huge man. And he literally picked up enough of the Maserati for the other people to also lift it to get Marvin Panch out. And he was rewarded by the Wood Brothers with their ride in the 500 that was going to be Marvin's ride. And Tiny won it. And it went, it went mostly good from there. Yeah, the wonderful message here. 
that so many people can learn from who's listening today because Cars Yeah is all about inspiring people. And I've heard this from other racers in particular is just be there. Even if you don't have a ride, show up, bring your helmet, bring your suit. You never know what kind of situation you'll be in. But this this incorporates into other people's careers too. Just showing up, going to trade shows, meeting people at events, being there, being present and watching for opportunities, much like that metaphor of grabbing a corner or an opening in a corner uh, to get in front of the next guy. That That's, wow, what a story. I mean, kind of brings goosebumps to your arms, but uh, there you go. But you also cover, I mean, all these guys are heavy hitters, but there's some, some folks in here that everybody will know. Mario Andretti. Uh, you always think, well, Mario's always been a success, but he had to start somewhere too, right? He did. He, he did well enough in dirt track, sprint car racing, open wheel up in Pennsylvania, Ohio, to, to the famous, and by famous for anybody in stock car racing, the Holman Moody team is famous. Holman Moody, with, through their relationship with Ford, put Mario in a car for the 500. The 67, I think it was. He had a couple of teammates, but he basically was just kind of a one-off. Hey, come on, run 500 with us. Mario very correctly figured out that Holman Moody and Ford would rather a NASCAR regular driver do well in the 500 than a one-off open-wheel guy. So Mario got the idea, got the impression that Holman Moody was were not giving him the best equipment because he kept running as hard as Fred Lorenzen but never could catch him in practice. Mario later said to Ford, I know that you've given Freddie the best motor. I want you to give me one as good as his. And Ford people did not admit that Mario was given second-rate equipment, but they did say, okay, go in our engine shop and pick any engine you want. And Mario did. He went into the shop, got a motor that he liked for some reason. I don't know what the reason was. Put in his Ford, and he won the 500, beating Fred Lorenzen, who was frankly the guy that Ford would have rather won the race um, you know, for obvious NASCAR purposes, they like Lorenzen more than Andretti. But Mario insisted, give me the same thing my teammates have got. And when Ford did, Mario showed what he could do. <laughs> so go. that's another deal where you, you get an opportunity. And if you really, you know, almost every driver knows this, if you don't like what you're driving, you're not going to win. So, you know, be happy with your equipment or upgrade. Yeah, absolutely. What was your favorite thing about unpeeling the onion and discovering all the, the, the aspects of this book and writing the book? Well, one, one thing I wanted to do was I wanted to give people an idea of, I don't know that, I don't know that Jeff Gordon could tell you right now what his fifth, 19th, 50th, 80th victory. I don't know that Gordon could tell you what those races were. He can tell you in infinite detail his first win. <laughs> He'll tell you when he made his first pit stop, who who was ahead of him on the last restart. He'll tell you verbatim what Ray Everham told him during that last sprint. Those drivers, those 50 gentlemen, or in some cases their crew chief or owner, that they will tell you that they remember everything about the first one. 
from two on. Petty could remember the first one, and he might could remember the 200th. But all those in between, eh, they take a shot, he'll, he'll be close. But the first one he remembers in great detail. Yeah. And we wanted to let, we wanted to let readers know what drivers thought about their first win. Where is the trophy? How did they celebrate that night? Did they ever, after that first win, were they ever tempted to yell at somebody across the garage? See, I told you so. <laughs> you didn't believe in me, but I told you so. And here I am. You know, stuff like that. Yeah, fascinating. The Wendell Scott story, where he never, to this day, and he died many years ago, but Wendell Scott's family never got the trophy for his first victory at Jacksonville. Wow. And clearly, it was, it was a case of racism. At that point in early 60s, NASCAR just could not abide the idea of, of an African-American driver winning one of their races. Right. They just couldn't, they couldn't handle it. Mm-hmm. And Wendell Scott and his family from Virginia raced clean, fair, worked hard, never gave anybody problems, but he wanted to race. And one one Saturday night, one Sunday night in Jacksonville, he was running second late in the race. Richard Petty blew up and fell out. Without any debate, without any uncertainty, Wendell Scott led the last 20 laps and won his first cup race. Hmm. Well, they did not give him the checkered flag. What? They waited They waited two more laps until Buddy, uh, Buck Baker came along. They flagged Baker as the winner. Oh, my gosh. The reason, Mark, is very obvious. They did not want a 35-year-old black man from Virginia on the Victory Stadium podium kissing the white trophy queen and handing them, getting the trophy. NASCAR just, they couldn't imagine what the reaction would be. Right. So Wendell very politely and correctly asked for a scoring recheck. I'm convinced I won. I don't know why you didn't give me the white flag and the checker. I don't know why we ran 202 laps, but I would like you know, a scoring recheck. And they did that, Mark. They, they did a scoring recheck, and they found out that Wendell Scott indeed had done what he said he had which was when the race. Well, that came at midnight. Everybody was gone. Right. Buck, Buck Baker had gone to the victory lane. He had the trophy. He, he didn't have the money yet. But anyway, so the grandstand is empty. The fans have all gone. The media is gone. The only people left were the NASCAR officials who said very quietly, Wendell, you won the race. We'll make sure you get credit for it. Here's your check. Wow. Wendell said, what about, what about my trophy? Well, Buck thinks he won, so he took it with him back to Charlotte. Wendell never got the trophy. Never. He died having been promised by NASCAR, we will find that trophy, give it to you. He died ahead of that. And and, and sadly, that was was the tenor of the times. Obviously, it wouldn't happen now, as Bubba Wallace's victory at Talladega proved. But um, not many people know that. They know that one black man had won a race until, up until last year. They might have known it was at Jacksonville, maybe not, but I don't know that they know about the trophy, the trophy girl, the fact that they did not take any pictures of him as a winner, just the way it was back then. 
Sad. Well, thankfully, things have improved and changed, but uh, a great story. As we say, history is doomed to repeat itself if you don't teach it correctly. So I'm glad that you shared that story. Wow. Well, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about maybe some challenges you faced, maybe in your career, maybe in the writing of this book. And I also want to touch on Mike Humber, who's going to be a next guest tomorrow, uh, who you decided to co-author with. So we'll be right back. Keep the seatbelts on. Sure. You listeners know I've been into car care my entire life. I am so excited to team up with AutoGeek in 2022. AutoGeek.net has been a leading source of auto detailing products, accessories, and expert knowledge for more than 20 years. What started in 1997 as a mail order catalog company has grown into a multi-website based e-commerce store that they are today. With a large online presence on its own website featuring close to 100 different brands, AutoGeek has grown to be the largest car care retailer in the country. AutoGeek's wholesale program serves accounts in over 30 countries and its retail sector ships worldwide. Go to AutoGeek.net for the best product selection on the internet today and their stellar technical support. AutoGeek.net. It's where I go for all my detailing needs. That's AutoGeek.net. If you're listening to this program, there's a pretty good chance you believe what I believe that the collector vehicles we love are more than just a means of getting from one place to the other. They're a part of our culture, our identity, and as a people, they bring us together at vintage races, classic car auctions, and thousand-mile rallies. That's why I support the RPM Foundation, which exists to ensure that the critical skills necessary to preserve and restore these important vehicles aren't lost to time. RPM stands for Restoration, Preservation, and Mentorship. And their goal is to inspire the next generation of vehicle restoration professionals through its outreach programs. And they include Shop Hop, Off to the Races, the RPM Future Class, and many others. These programs engage talented young people across the country and connect them with mentors and a variety of opportunities in the industry. For more information on how the RPM Foundation is driving the future of collector vehicles skill trade, visit rpm.foundation today. Linkage. It's a new quarterly publication and website that covers the automotive market, driving, restoring, collecting, and discovering your passion for motor vehicles. Linkage is about experiences, opinions, and values. Linkage is an actual, informed, reasoned opinion based on firsthand experiences. A talented Linkage team covers the automotive world, the people who share your passion and mine, Smart, considered, rational, and experienced opinions. Ones you can learn from and grow. That includes our passion that drives auctions and the collector car market. So come with me and join us on this journey. And be sure to use the code CARSYEAH when you subscribe and they'll give you $10 off. Boom! Linkage, geared for the automotive life. Subscribe today at LinkageMag.com. All right, we're back. You know, Mike's going to be a guest tomorrow, and we're going to talk about the other half of your uh, your teamwork here that you guys did on this book. Have you done other books with other people, and why why you and Mike? How did you guys get together on this project? Well, Mike and I have known each other for probably 40 years. I've, I've been doing this, this racing season right now. is my 53rd consecutive. He's done about 43 or 44. So together, 
Mike and I have been doing this for a hundred years. Oh my gosh! Wow, hundred seasons. A lot of talent well, now, there. <laughs> I, I, yeah, obviously they overlap, but still, yeah. He and I together been doing this, and and I mean, I hate not to blow my own horn very much, but Mike's the best there is. He is absolutely is as good a writer as anybody in this genre has ever been. Um, it was interesting that that Octane Press decided and it was their call not to tell readers which one of us wrote which of the 50 chapters. Oh, okay. There are no bylines. Yeah. There are no bylines in the book. There's one on the outside, my name and his, but chapter by chapter, you can't tell, you know, who wrote what. We talked about it on the phone a couple of times. We met in Charlotte one day, and we started jotting down names of drivers that we thought would be appropriate. And obviously, you start with Petty, Pearson, Earnhardt. We threw in Andretti and AJ because you can't have an American racing book without Mario and AJ. Then we picked champions. We picked near champions. We picked somewhat obscure drivers. And and we you know we sat down and said, okay, here's here's sixty names. Let's go through it one more time. And we got down to fifty. And then we just arbitrarily decided who would do whom. I said, okay, I'll take, I know the petties quite well. I'll do, I'll do Kyle and Richard. Uh, Mike, you're from South Carolina. You know Pearson, you know Yarborough. Um, so we just divided them up like that, 25 each, and just began writing. We set sort of 2,000 words per chapter, and we just spent about a year doing it. We gave it to Octane Press. They decided what the priority would be, who would go first in the book and who would be last. Ironically, well, maybe not ironically, but Dale Earnhardt ended first. And for some reason, Denny Hamlin, a three-time Daytona 500 winner, is the last chapter. But they're just scattered about, and um, they're fairly easy, short reads. I don't know that anybody would try to read the whole book at, you know, at one sitting, but you can certainly read two or three chapters easily um, in the afternoon or in the evening or on a short plane ride. You can you can get through two or three chapters and put it down, come back tomorrow and read two or three or four. We, we like the format. Yeah. We very much like what, what Octane did. Yeah, they always do a great job. Yeah, yeah the, only, the only real challenges, as you can probably imagine, is, Writing 2,000 words about deceased drivers. Obviously, Embry Mike could not talk to Earnhardt, but he could talk to Earnhardt's crew chief that day and Earnhardt's team owner that day and members of Earnhardt's family. What was it like? Do you remember that afternoon? You know, what was the reaction around the house that day? Um, so the only challenge was getting quality stuff from members of the family of drivers that we couldn't talk to, you know, individually. Now, I like to talk with my guests about special vehicles in their life. You and I had a nice chat before we started recording today, and you said, well, Mark, you know, I'm not really a diehard car guy. Cars are not, like, super special to me, but is there one vehicle in your life, if you think back? Maybe it was that first car you got or that first train ride. Maybe you'll be the first guy to say, a train is my special vehicle story. Uh, is, <laughs> no. there, is there one car that stands out for you? I think I think the, the the only one that stands out, which I still own, 
I reached a point, and I don't mind telling you, I'm almost 80. Good for you. <laughs> I, reached, I reached a point 10 or 12 years ago when I said, you know, Pierce, <laughs> you've worked really hard for a long time. Yeah. You got out of the Army on a Friday, and you in the newspaper business the next Monday. You've worked pretty much nonstop your whole life. You deserve something that you've always dreamed of having. There you go. Even in Vietnam, I began to think about coming home and buying a sporty convertible, not a sports car, but a sporty style convertible. And so about 12 years ago, I decided it's time. I've got the money and I bought a Camaro convertible. Oh, nice. And it is, it is beautiful. It is uh, silver with black striping that I had put on. It's a manual shift, which I like. Um, I've had it 11 years now. And it's a car that I drive on special long trips. I don't drive it around town very much because it's a little bit heavy and a little bit bulky, but out on a highway, boy, it's a dream. So, <laughs> you know, all my other cars have been pretty basic. Chevrolets, Fords, uh, Honda, Hyundai, a Volkswagen. But that Camaro convertible, when the top's down and it's parked in a nice part of the city, by the river, it's really, it'll catch your eye. Nice. <laughs> so nice. That's my only other truck. The only, only other one might be a motorcycle. I did the first 25 of Kyle Petty's cross-country charity motorcycle rides. The first 25? Is that what you said? 25 of those. Wow. I did the first 25. They did not run in 2000 or 2001. So like everybody else, we stopped. They wrote it, they resumed this year, and I just just didn't quite feel up to it. So I did I did 25 consecutive, raised a ton of money for charity, and I rode Hondas, I rode a Honda trike, I, ran, I rode a Kawasaki, a, a, a Triumph, um, a Harley Screaming Eagle. I rode a lot of motorcycles, none of which was important enough to keep and buy, but when the when the manufacturer offered them to me, I gladly took them. And the best of all the bikes I rode, people won't understand, or they might, was a Triumph. Triumph, cool. I rode a little Triumph. It was really really nice. Didn't think a lot of the bigger, heavier, cumbersome cross country type bikes, but this little Triumph was really really nice. So um, that and and my Camaro convertible, if that qualifies me as a car guy, then I'm a car guy. But <laughs> I'm not sure I am really. Well, I think so. I always have a saying: if it rolls on rubber, I probably love it for some reason. Yeah, some, there some, you go. some more than the other. But yeah, Kyle was a guest on the show, and he talked about that fundraising charity ride across America that he does and has done so many times. But the fact that you did 25 of them, I think that puts you in a pretty special category uh, for sure. Also, that's very, very cool. You know, I'm going to be your car psychologist today. I'm going to crawl into your head a little bit. Now, being that you're a writer, I think you can let me take you this place. If you were reincarnated, pun intended, manifest as a vehicle, not what you want to be, but how you perceive the man in the mirror, all these years, all these things you've done, hardworking, what would you be, but more importantly, why? Growing up in the South, born, reared, educated, lived in the South all my life, believe it or not, there's something special about the General Lee. <laughs> the car, the car that the Dukes of Hazard drove. Yeah, 
I think it was the Dodge Daytona. Am I right about that? I believe it was a Charger. You know, just basically because of where I live and who I am and how I was reared. Yeah, I mean, you kind of, how, how do you not like that car? Well, it's... If you're a Southern boy. Yeah, it's you know. become so iconic. It's so funny you said that, because this morning, I always post uh, my shows of the day on social media, and I came across a posting someone had done of a, a big field full... There was probably 40 of those sitting in the field, and maybe it was a shot from the movie, because I know they crashed a lot of those things when they, they uh, you know did the TV series, I should say, yeah, with the General yeah. Lee. So uh, maybe it was the surplus stock of cars uh, from that show. But uh, yeah, it certainly became one of those many iconic vehicles from TV and movies that we've all grown to love. So that kind of makes sense for me. I think it's cool. Didn't they call that like pumpkin orange? There was some. That was the special name of the of the paint job of that car. I think it was orange, and, and Dodge or Chrysler may have put them on the showroom floor and called it pumpkin orange. Now, I may be wrong about that, because I haven't seen that car on TV in quite a while. But basically because that seems to be the car that most Southern boys would with, you know, dungarees and flannel shirts and baseball caps. It seems to be the one that most young people in their late teens, early to mid-20s, that, that was the car they wanted. They wanted to look like the General Lee. You know, Al, there's a story that uncovered the real color of the General Lee. It's on the Motorious website. I'll put a link to it on your show notes page. A lot of people thought that was a hemi orange or there's a Chevrolet color that uh, people thought maybe it was. I think it was called Hugger Orange. But the real color of the General Lee was actually called TNT Express. And it was a color that was chosen by the camera crew so that it showed up as orange. Uh, of a company in Europe that was a delivery company called TNT Express. And the reason for it was because when they used the Hemi Orange or the Hugger Orange, it showed up more brown and less orange on the screen. So they needed a color that showed up bright orange. So they chose TNT Express. I'll make sure I put a link to the whole story. There's a YouTube video there as well that you can go and learn about how they uncovered the color, the true color of the General Lee, but yeah, mystery solved. There you go. And of course, I always ask my guests about a great book. We're going to focus on your book today. Again, the title is 50 First Victories, NASCAR Drivers Breakthrough Wins. You got to get your hands on this if you love racing. I love the inside stories. And like Al said, it's a great book to sit down and read a couple chapters then pick it up again the next evening or if you're going on a plane ride. You got to get your hands on this book. I'll put a link to it on his show notes page. Now, here's a fun thought, Al. Before I let you go today, I'm going to enable you to go on what I call the ultimate drive. I'm going to buy you any car in the world. I'm going to park it in your garage. You can take it anywhere. And guess what? You can take anybody with you, including somebody who's passed. So it could be somebody way back in history. I've had a lot of interesting answers, or maybe it's your dad or grandfather or somebody in your life. What does the ultimate drive look like for you? I would like for Michael Schumacher oh, wow. to create a two-seater Ferrari F1 car. Okay. I want Michael Schumacher to find an 8 or 10 or 12-mile road to Newburgh in Germany or something. And I want Michael Schumacher to take me for a Formula One ride as, as quick as he wants to run. <laughs> Wow. And I will try not to throw up and scream, 
But what I mean, what more? I mean, I know, I know all the, I know all the stock car guys. I know Petty and Mike and, and Kyle Larson and the Bush brothers. I know all those people, and they're nice people, and we get along. But I've met Michael Schumacher, and that's a story in itself for some other time. But I would like to sit behind Michael Schumacher or in front of him in a Formula One two-seater, if there is such a thing. And if you've got a magic wand, you can make it happen. So <laughs> that would be my dream ride. Not to drive, but to ride with Michael Schumacher in an F1 car. Well, I'll tell you something, Al. This is kind of interesting that you say that. Uh, I, I was very fortunate. I got to sit across from Michael uh, eating lunch at the Indy 500 track when the F1 cars first came to the U.S. and ran there. I had some backseat or backseat, backstage passes, I guess, inside paddock passes because of some products that I was selling that were related to Ferrari. So I got to sit there and talk with him a little bit. He's just the kind of guy you think he is, and you've met him. Tragic, of course, what's happened with Michael and oh. all of our... All of our wishes uh, for him and his family. However, here's the interesting part of this story. I spent three days at the Ferrari factory at the Cliente program where they bring out vintage Ferraris and um, put them together for people. was at the track there. And I walked back into a room that was lined on either side with Ferrari F1 cars from the past. And guess what I saw there? Not one, but two Ferrari F1 cars built by the factory with three seats a driver in the middle, and passengers on each side. Wow. I never knew they existed. I've seen the cars that Michael or Mario Andretti gives people rides on where you're sitting behind him, where you really can't see very mm-hmm. much. Imagine, and this is where my magic wand comes true, Al, if I put you on one side, Michael in the, miller, in the middle, maybe we put Mike Hembry on the other side so you guys <laughs> even everything out and he takes you for a couple laps. I think that would be pretty cool. That'd be, that'd, that'd be cool. I'm going to send you a picture. I expect you, I expect you to make that happen. I'm going to work on it. <laughs> yeah, the magic, <laughs> the magic wand at cars. Well, cars. Yeah, I'm going to email you a picture of that that car because when I show that to people, a lot of people don't believe it's real. Uh, I didn't believe it's real, but one of the Ferrari mechanics walked over and told me about it. Uh, pretty darn cool. And he let me take pictures, which was even better. So there you go. We <laughs> we can make that happen at least in our minds. You've taken us on a wonderful journey today, my friend. This has been a delight, and thank you for all of your writings and contributions contributions to racing over the years. Absolutely spectacular. Before I let you go, could you share maybe a success quote, words of inspiration, or some kind of a mantra for us to leave us with an inspiring thought? Well, before I do that, let me just mention briefly, you mentioned what kind of car I would want to be. Yes. Other than the General Lee, I think the black, I think it was black Mustang that Steve McQueen drove in Bullet. Oh, dark green. Dark green, whatever color it was, but it was when he chased the bad guys. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to be that. I'd like to be that car. And I'd like to have Steve McQueen as my driver. Oh my gosh. Another one. Holy cow. <laughs> the other, the other thing you just mentioned, I, and I tell, I, I tell young reporters this, the fact that the journalism profession is not doing well and may not do well for a while. Because TV and radio and, and a lot of easier to digest things are taken along. People don't like to read yeah. as much as they like to listen. Half half of success is just showing up. <laughs> yeah. Just be there. Be yeah. there. Yeah. I, I, I try to make it a point to to if I've got a weekend race assignment from Auto Week or whomever, I, I want to be there when the first car 
goes on the track. It's a first moment of the day, and I want to be there until the garage closes. I don't want to be out playing golf when something happens and I'm not there. So half, half of half of being good at what you do is just being there. Amen. And and the other half is if you're a writer, don't try to be somebody you're not. Write the way you feel. Write write what's comfortable to you. Write what you know, and don't use words just to make it look good that you know this word. So good advice. Anyway, sound advice from an all star who's done it and been there, Al Pierce. I want to do a quick shout out to Joanna Big Snyder at Octane Press for introducing me and bringing Al to the show today. Joe, as we call her, thank you very much. And of course, tomorrow, tune in with Mike Hembry, the other half of this inspiring book that I know you're going to all want to get on your car or your library shelf, I should say. 51st Victories, uh, it's an awesome book. You should get your hands on it. Al, hey, thanks for being so generous today with your time and sharing your experiences. I think I could talk to you for hours and hours until you and I talk again, my friend. I'll see you down the road. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm currently driving on route to Daytona Beach for this weekend race, and uh, I I enjoyed stopping in and chatting with you. Well, thanks for taking a pit stop here at Cars. Yeah, we appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.